This is Mike Levitt. Our nation is faced with two very important, but sometimes competing priorities. We have a duty to provide the best possible health care for every patient, but we must also remain competitive in a global marketplace. That's what value-based care is all about. Our challenge is to create a uniquely American system of health care. Truly, we're in a race to make value work. Welcome to The Race to Value, a weekly podcast hosted by Dr. Eric Weaver of the Institute for Advancing Health Value. The Institute is a nonprofit organization focused on accelerating the industry to succeed in health value. Join Eric as they engage the executives, clinicians, and entrepreneurs who are leading this race to value. Race to value listeners. This week, we're going to be talking about re-engineering care and with generative AI and predictive analytics. This opportunity that we have to revolutionize healthcare is going to come about by providing personalized, proactive, and more efficient patient care, you know, ultimately improving individual outcomes and the overall healthcare system. And, and this revolution is going to be driven by data. That's going to be the compass towards a future in value-based care where every patient's well-being is not just a goal, but a measurable and attainable outcome. And this week, I am so excited to bring you Naseeb Shamoon, the founder of Health Data Analytics Institute. He's also the president and chief executive officer. He's the primary inventor of its broad-based health data analytics platform. He's had a storied career in the healthcare industry and a technology innovator. You're going to learn more about that early on in the interview. And, and we covered such amazing ground, not only his background, but discussing data aggregation, predictive analytics, digital twinning, network management, generative AI, and clinical care. And we also talk about the future of AI and population health management and this fourth industrial revolution of technology that's going to take us to a whole new level of exciting innovation in the delivery of value-based care transformation. So let's now hear from Naseeb as he joins us this week in the Race to Value. Naseeb, welcome to the Race to Value. It's great to have you on the show this week. Hello, Eric. Good to be here. Thanks for having me. Well, Naseeb, I'm really looking forward to our conversation today, and I'd like to spend our time today discussing how we transform care with predictive analytics. But before we go there, let's talk a little bit about your background and your life experiences that have informed the visioning of the Health Data Analytics Institute. As a teenager living in Beirut, you experienced the horror of a civil war that divided and destroyed the once beautiful city. You narrowly escaped execution by militants. You lived with constant danger of sniper crossfire and the terror of relentless shelling. And you finally escaped that violence and left it behind. And you enrolled in Northeastern University and went on to graduate studies at BU and the Harvard School of Public Health. And in the 80s at Harvard, you worked on one of the earliest computers in the U.S., building computer-assisted pattern recognition tools on big data to analyze some of the first digitalized cardiac signals. And since then, you've spent thousands of hours inside the mathematical intricacies of models and the service of finding new insights that 
drive better outcomes for patients. And prior to your founding of HDAI in 2018, you led Aspect Medical Systems from startup to 100 million global publicly traded company, and you were the inventor of the bispectral index monitoring technology that measures and interprets brainwave activity directly related to anesthetic agents, which is now, as I understand, a standard in operating rooms across the world. And it seems like the themes in your life are related to the overcoming of adversity and unbridled curiosity and the search for answers and big data and that tireless drive to, to support clinicians and the patients that they serve. And you've had this remarkable journey, Naseeb, and from your experiences in Beirut during the Civil War to your work in the field of healthcare analytics. So I wanted to see if you could, as we start our conversation today, could you tell us more about the pivotal moments in your life that shaped your passion for data analytics and its application in healthcare? Sure. You know, as I always tell my, my friends and uh, the individuals I work with, I've never had a bad day since uh, leaving Beirut in 1980. Those were very, very difficult times, and I felt so fortunate to be able to travel to Boston and uh, start at Northeastern University, uh, my undergraduate work, and uh, that ultimately landed me in a co-op job at the Harvard School of Public Health, where I got to learn a lot about uh, technology and healthcare and analyzing data to extract information that can be helpful to clinicians and researchers to understand conditions and to find uh, new opportunities uh, to manage patients uh, better. And that really set the path for starting Aspect Medical Systems, where, you know, the goal there was to uh, introduce a technology that brought into focus anesthetic management and uh, created a measure of consciousness at a time where no such product existed. And throughout this journey, uh, the goal was very simple. How can we use analytics? How can we use big data? And big data is a relative term. Uh, in the 80s, big data was megabytes and gigabytes, and now it's terabytes and petabytes. But I always enjoyed uh, pushing the envelope of data storage and compute capabilities at the time uh, to extract information from biological or other types of clinical data to deliver uh, insights and information to clinicians to help them focus on opportunities to improve outcomes for patients. Well, Naseeb, I'm thinking here, like if we're going to live in this future when the entire health system is aligned with improving outcomes, then we we do have to have this optimal business intelligence. And, and that doesn't come from just EHRs. We need to leverage the entire data universe from IoT to financial claims, ADTs, credit scores, census reporting, et cetera, to build this 360-degree view. And we not only have to build all of these additional pipes, but we have to take data from EHRs, which have around 80% of health information sitting there as unstructured notes, which is unusable unless we somehow convert it to discrete data. And this democratization of data is essential to building a better, smarter, healthier system. However, CMS has historically prohibited researchers from accessing detailed CMS data if they intended to use it to develop products or tools to sell. And, and you know, that changed in the in the development of the CMS Innovator Program. And, you know, their CMS provided your company as well as others uh, that highly coveted innovators license that allows 
uh, companies to build accurate and validated predictive models based on 100 million Medicare beneficiaries. And this universe of data from CMS allowed your company to leverage over 250 billion data points with 20 years of longitudinal data across the entire healthcare continuum from outpatient visits, labs, imaging orders, hospitalizations, prescription drugs, post and subacute care. And, you know, coordinating that torrent of data with these other streams of data that encompass the clinical and SDOH domains, it allows you to build these powerful AI models that are focusing on empowering clinicians, optimizing care pathways, improving care outcomes. And, you know, we're going to talk more in depth later about the potential of AI to unlock insights to transform patient outcomes in the future of medicine. But I first wanted to ask you just about data aggregation. Could you dive deeper into the specific ways that HDAI is aggregating data and ultimately why big data is so important to inform care delivery innovation? And, and in this advent of the AI revolution, are you confident that we're on the right path to responsibly liberating data to unleash that power of predictive analytics in healthcare? Uh, absolutely. I think it all uh, starts with the data. Data is the core that drives uh, many of the AI uh, algorithms and technology out there. Uh, sure, you can use a lot of fancy tools to extract uh, information, but the bigger the data is, the more representative of the population and more importantly, uh, the events and measures that you're trying to track. Uh, the more valuable it is to not only developing uh, the appropriate predictive models to track utilization outcomes or cost, but also it helps us combine this information with um, uh, our, our digital uh, twinning uh, technology uh, to help understand uh, the performance across the system and within each network of care, which is a critical component of value-based care. My view is if you can't measure something, you can't improve it, you can't optimize it. So this measurement component uh, for us is just as critical, if not more critical than the models uh, that we would use to ultimately help clinicians influence change. And by leveraging uh, that access to the innovative program, we learned a lot about the models we can build, uh, the performance measures we can create, and really understanding with great resolution uh, the intersection between cost outcomes and uh, utilization, but more importantly, being able to take these models and apply them in the process of care to empower clinicians to modify what they're doing, to focus on the right populations and take what we learned from the performance data and make it actionable and make it usable in a way that leads to better management, better outcomes, better experiences, not just for patients, but for the clinicians who are caring for them. In our view, everybody today is awash with data. There's data everywhere and it's large, it's uh, sprawling, 
And in the end, it's contributed to greater inefficiencies rather than improving uh, efficiency. Most clinicians today spend a significant amount of their time uh, searching the EHR for the nuggets or pieces of data they need to bring uh, that view of the patient together so they can personalize their care. Part of HDAI's focus is not just on the analytics and on the models, but on curating multiple sources of data and bringing them uh, together to have as comprehensive and complete uh, of a view uh, as, as possible. In that respect, no matter which data source you are looking at, their strengths and weaknesses. You look at the EHR, it's very current. It shows you where every clinician is at and what their view of the patient is, but it tends to be more limited in terms a historical perspective because if patients receive care elsewhere or have been uh, seen by a different organization, uh, that information may not be complete, or it may be in the form of notes and other unstructured elements of data that are not readily ingestible and understandable by analytic algorithms. You look at claims data that we get uh, uh, from Medicare using uh, the BCDA access, which is a very powerful and wonderful tool that Medicare has introduced for accountable care uh, organizations. It's complete. It covers the history of the patient going back seven or eight years, regardless of where they received cares and where they uh, filled their prescription. The problem is it may be one, two, three, even four weeks behind uh, real time. So it lacks the recency that you need to uh, take more timely action for your patient. And then you have uh, other sources like the billing records within an organization. The advantage there is coders and billers have gone through all the notes. They've gone through all the labs and all the clinical measures to make sure that all the information captured in those notes can be supported and documented with the right diagnostics to confirm that a condition exists. Again, like the claims data from Medicare, it's not real time. It happens after the fact. So ultimately, technology not only has to integrate multiple sources of data, but HDAI, we also leverage in real time our ability to interpret uh, those notes and extract potential new conditions and codes that emerge from recent encounters. Our goal there is not to create a billing record. Our goal there is not to interpret the record for the patient, but to flag opportunities and areas that other clinicians have identified as risk factors and focus the attention of the care team on those areas for additional inquiry and discovery as they review the record. Effectively, 
simplifying that process for them. They still have to do their work. We fundamentally believe that central to any AI tool today is the clinical engagement, clinical participation. It all depends on a clinical judgment in the context of all the information you can surface and integrate for them in real time. Our job is reduce their screen time and increase their time engaging with the patients, understanding their condition and personalizing their care for them and also coordinating that care with other members of the team, which I believe is one of the more powerful levers we have in today's healthcare environment to move us closer to a successful and powerful transition uh, towards value-based care. I'm really excited, Naseeb, about the potential of predictive modeling capabilities of technology. I mean, it's not just about reinventing the wheel. I mean, it's applying what doctors have been doing on a larger scale. I mean, what's changed, it seems, in this innovation with technology and AI is our ability to better measure, aggregate, and make sense of previously hard to obtain or non-existent behavioral, psychosocial, and biometric data. And combining these data sets with the existing sciences of epidemiology and clinical medicine allows us to accelerate progress and understanding those relationships between external factors and human biology. You know, ultimately that, as you said earlier, it results in this re-engineering of clinical pathways and truly personalized care. And at HDAI, you've built this enabling predictive analytics platform and technology that allows clinicians across the continuum of care to access the information they need in a, in a format that's easy to digest and efficient. And it gets them to focus on the patients who need more of their attention and value-based care. And, you know, your platform brings all those pieces together to help organizations first understand what's working and what's not working for them by using AI to analyze all the dimensions of cost and outcomes and utilization. And you use those same models to deploy them at the point of care so the providers can start to move the needle and change how they do things on the front lines of delivering care. And generalized clinical use case would be the identification of patients that are at high risk of an ED visit or an unplanned admission who could benefit from nurse outreach and possible enrollment into a post-discharge chronic care management, advanced illness, or palliative care program. And Naseeb, and I just wanted to ask you, you know, in your view, what are the most exciting developments on the horizon in this field? And, you know, what are some of the specific population health use cases for reducing unnecessary utilization and avoidable ED visits and hospital admissions? I mean, how does, and also how does the risk adjustment factor play into the predictive models when it comes to assessing burden of illness? So you get that higher level of specificity. Uh, absolutely. I, I think at the core here to be successful with value-based care, you have to operationalize two, two major goals. One is prevention. And the second, because sometimes you can't prevent everything is adverse event avoidance or uh, complication or exacerbation avoidance, because that's very difficult for the patient. It's very costly for the system, and it really reduces the quality uh, of life for those involved and for their families. Now, analytic technologies and predictive models 
uh, play a very important role in helping us identify patients who may be at risk for a new condition may emerge or a new complication that may emerge. And the reason algorithms can do that, uh, you know, one way you can think about it as uh, fancy AI and it's uh, kind of this magic that happens inside the computer. Another way to look at it is a statistical representation and aggregation of all the data in the patient's history. And I always say a clinician, given the appropriate amount of time and given access to every piece of data out there, uh, they can sit down and identify those risk factors on their own. So our goal is not to do clinician's job. Our goal is very simply do what a clinician does, but do it repeatedly and do it continuously for every patient in their cohort, whether the cohort is that of a, a practice or a partnership that has multiple practices in it or a health system or an ACO that aggregates a number of organizations, uh, patients together. The reality is healthcare conditions evolve and change in real time. And today in our healthcare system, uh, resources are limited, whether it's physicians, nurses, techs, or any type of healthcare worker. We're seeing huge uh, limitations in terms of staffing availability and that's not likely to change anytime soon. The population is, is aging, their complexity uh, burden is rising, and therefore we're going to need a lot of people to manage this population effectively and deliver uh, the best care at the most reasonable cost possible because by 2031, 2032, the U.S. healthcare spending, according to Medicare, will reach roughly $8 trillion. That puts us well ahead of the economy of Japan, effectively making U.S. healthcare spending the third largest economy in, in the world. So to do that, technology and predictive analytics can be a very powerful uh, enablement tool to uh, take this uh, slew uh, of data that's coming from multiple directions, whether it's notes written by providers, whether it's claims coming from payers, it's bills generated by coding experts in the organization, labs or structured data uh, that's entered into the EHR, and leveraging predictive models to synthesize it and go from uh, hundreds potentially of encounters or data points per patient to one page that every member of the clinical team can look at and use not as the end all, but as a starting point of where they want to dig deeper, where they want to engage with the patient, and where they want to personalize and optimize care. But more importantly, 
it's leveling the playing field and it's creating this normalized view that allows anybody who's engaging with the patient in the community during an acute episode in the post-acute setting or even follow-up afterwards when they return home or to their facility where they're being taken care of, to have a representative view of that patient that is shared across the team. And that means more effective coordination, more effective handoffs, and more powerful teamwork that is going to allow us to deliver for this patient and their family a consistent experience, regardless of who they interact with during their care process when they're going through it before and after. So engaging patients is going to be an integral part of where organizations need to go. We had multiple conversations about that at the Florida Association of ACOs meeting last week by the panelists that talked about this as one of the more challenging areas in value-based care and the advantages of a care team. You have multiple opportunities to engage with that patient and deliver to them consistent messages about their health, about their well-being, about what they need to do uh, to get better, how their family can help them get better, and create a higher level of awareness that gives each patient an opportunity to take control and improve their their well-being. Well, I can just hear your passion this eve and you know oftentimes in healthcare we seem to resort to kind of a doom and gloom mentality because of all the challenges but I mean, we're really at this exciting moment in the transformation of healthcare and you know using these predictive analytics it can guide us to a future where patient care is not just reactive but proactive where the providers anticipate health needs and tailor interventions for better outcomes and you know up until this point before the proliferation of AI, physicians had to make important decisions on diagnosis and treatment with limited time and incomplete information. And, and unfortunately, with the current EHRs, the quantity and displays of data are just overwhelming and they're they're disjointed. And AI, it, it doesn't just bubble up those patients in the rising risk tier that are in critical need of care interventions. It can also be combined with advanced statistical techniques to determine a prospective health risk profile. And it could also predict various treatment approaches and what types of treatments have worked for these patients and for these types of patients in the past. And that allows the the clinicians to make more informed decisions on care for the current patient to drive optimal cost and clinical outcomes. And as I understand it, HDAI, your predictive analytics work is with digital twins that and you mentioned that that term earlier, it generates a UI experience that surfaces important insights specific to that individual patient. But the model basically, as I understand it, finds like a clinically similar digital twin with an identical risk profile that encompasses that same constellation of risk factors and social determinants of health and the fusion of digital twinning with precision medicine. It's really exciting in terms of thinking about how it can build that dynamic bridge between data-driven insights and individual 
care and providing a pathway to a future in healthcare that's almost thinking about how healthcare delivery can be as unique as the DNA within us. You know, it's it's, it's an exciting field. And, you know, Naseeb, I wanted to ask you just to, about this integration of predictive analytics with digital twinning for individualized patient care. Could you explain your company's approach to digital twinning in more detail and how that transforms the way that clinicians make decisions for each patient's unique needs? Absolutely. This is a really uh, important uh, question, and it has implications for everything we do in working with our partners and organizations to understand not only their outcomes, but really surface opportunities for optimization and improvement. Uh, We're often asked the question, well, why do you have several hundred uh, predictors of outcomes, cost, and utilization? And and our answer um, is pretty straightforward. No one clinician is going to use all these predictors, but our goal is to serve every component of the care team that's going to be involved with this patient uh, by specialty, by type of disciplines, from nursing to uh, case management to social work and everyone who is going to contribute to that care. So these models become very specific targeting tool or use case definition tools where each use case may use one or two or three of these predictors together, coupled with utilization to help us understand what's going on. So instead of using something like the risk adjustment factor or the RAF score uh, to normalize utilization data, which is typically what most people do in healthcare today, you add the number of ED visits or the number of hospitalizations, and you say, I'm going to divide it by the RAF score and Therefore, I risk adjusted for that outcome. Effectively, that adds noise because the RAF score is uh, literally uh, Medicare's uh, measures of what they're going to pay uh, for a particular patient. It's been limited and structured in a way uh, to drive reimbursement policy. However, if you're trying to optimize for avoiding a certain adverse event, like an unplanned admission or an ED visit, or you're trying to optimize for what's the cadence a patient should be seen to identify care gaps, then using specific predictors for those endpoints uh, becomes critical. The reason that's important is if I want to understand how an organization or a provider or a practice is performing relative to reducing uh, unplanned admissions or uh, ED visits, I'll take every patient's expectation or prediction that they could have an ED visit or an unplanned admission. I'll find all the individual in the full population that share the same exact risk within a very small percentage, you know, a a fraction uh, of a percent then match these individual patients on their demographics, match them on their socioeconomic and social drivers of health, match them on their community status, because a patient who's 
community dwelling versus a patient or an individual that's homebound or in a facility are likely to have different experiences and different outcomes, even when the risks are comparable. And therefore, when we do that for each patient, we have assigned their digital twins to them that have an actual outcome that they have experienced. So instead of trying to model a, an outcome for this patient against a predictor, we're modeling an outcome for this patient to peers that are as closely matched and as we can uh, to them and use their actual outcome as their expectation. This becomes a very powerful tool when you begin to aggregate those patients by provider, by practice, by organization, home health agency, SNF hospital, or an outpatient surgery center, whatever the entity is, now we are able to build all of our analytics from the patient up. And the reason that's important is when you're evaluating opportunities, they're going to be across areas with small numbers. And this aggregation from the patient up allows us to reduce the variance and understand with great detail uh, whether uh, there's an opportunity for improvement or not. The advantage also of doing this for the whole country, we, we evaluate every primary care physician, every practice, every specialist, every entity that builds under Medicare. And we also look at how they interact. The reason that's important is we're able to take multiple organizations across the country and define what the exemplars are doing. What are the organizations that are delivering the better outcome? Implementing in terms of engagement with the patient, in terms of utilization, procedures, ENM visits, screening, testing. We have measures for everything that goes on in terms of caring for that patient to ultimately uh, drive a certain outcome. And then we tend to work with our partners and show them what the exemplars are doing. And what's interesting about that is when you start creating those exemplars, there isn't like one silver bullet, like do this and your patients are going to do better. There are multiple combinations of tools and engagement opportunities that different organizations employ uh, to deliver the better outcome for their patients. So what we tend to do with our partners is we show them what the exemplars are doing and ask them to think within the context of the tools and resources they have and how they would employ some of these approaches or a combination of them to impact their population where they have an opportunity to make a difference. Once that plan is in place, then we deliver to them those predictors or the combination of predictors for the appropriate use cases of interest to help them identify 
the patients that need that higher level of attention and service and provide them with access to their team, whether it's their uh, social worker, community worker, access to the physician, to the advanced practitioner, or to a nurse, whatever it takes. It's about bringing the power of the care team to support patients who need the attention or to engage patients in activities that could help prevent the uh, progression of certain condition and diseases. And that's where predictive analytics and AI can really have a profound impact across the board. I'm thinking about, Naseeb, our listeners out there, many of them are thinking about how to drive network management decisions and building a clinically integrated network. And you talked about that in terms of identifying those exemplars and that data can also be used to inform these ACOs and recruiting providers and ultimately determining the highest quality providers and facilities to refer patients to. And I saw there was a particular use case with one of your clients, Houston Methodist Coordinated Care, which is a MSSP ACO with over 50,000 attributed beneficiaries and more than 300 physicians. And, you know, they're taking upside and downside financial risk, and they were able to leverage your analytics to recruit primary care physician groups with the best clinical and cost performance and also identify those post-acute care facilities with the lowest rates of patients being readmitted to the hospital and identifying specialist physicians with the best clinical and cost performance for recruiting them into a high-value specialist network. And, you know, this application of predictive analytics is to inform these network management decisions is really a fascinating concept. So I wanted to ask you just in terms of thinking about the, the future implications of this, I mean, are we to reach a point where these predictive analytics at the network level will uh, reshape the healthcare landscape towards one that's more competitive on cost and quality outcomes? Absolutely. And I, and I think uh, Houston Methodist is a very powerful example of an organization that's among the best performing in, in the country, really at the top of health systems uh, as an academic medical center. They tend to rank usually in the top of 5 to 10% in many of the categories of care they deliver. And their ACO last year was the 13th highest in terms of savings generated for Medicare. I think they were the third or fourth on a per patient saving. And you think an organization that's this high performance does not need predictive analytics and AI. But in fact, it is at the core of what they do because they fundamentally believe there's always an opportunity to improve and strengthen the value you deliver to your patients, whether that's on the fee-for-service side or on the value-based care side. And that's a combination that I'd say most health systems have struggled to deliver around the country. Even, you know, I, I won't name any, but you go top health systems that are their peers in the United States. They've struggled to be successful 
both by delivering the best outcomes possible on the fee-for-service side and the best outcomes possible on the value-based care side. And they do it because as an organization, uh, they're committed to excellence in a way that I haven't seen in many places. Over the last two years, for example, we've worked with their ACO to help them identify primary care practices that share their values and share their performance goals in terms of how to care for patients. And they've leveraged this information to recruit and grow their network. I think they're over uh, 50,000 beneficiaries uh, strong today. We've worked with them to identify populations uh, that are at, uh, you know, advanced uh, levels of risk, whether they're advanced illness patients or complex care patients that required more attention from their team in the field. And they have a unique philosophy as an organization to support their clinicians and their primary care network with resources external to the network that they bring to bear so they can allow the clinicians to focus their time on caring for patients rather than doing quote unquote care management tasks do all the care management work, all the engagement with the patient to make sure that when they see the clinicians or their staff in the clinic, you're getting the greatest impact possible. Similarly, on the hospital side, we've worked with Houston Methodist Hospital to really help them understand their post-discharge outcomes. A lot of people today are focused on in-hospital mortality and in-hospital measures of performance. And when you look at Houston Methodist, they're near the top. They're usually between second and fifth in the country when you measure uh, mortality outcomes or complications during a hospitalization. And we worked with them to really understand how they can improve their mortality measures over a 30-day period. And what was fascinating about the results, which we helped them understand uh, through the digital twinning process, that while they were near the best on in-hospital performance, their performance kind of dropped when you looked at 15 or 30 days post-discharge in terms of mortality. And looking more closely at the data to identify some of the reasons that are driving that, we were able to show that for them, and actually for the majority of leading health systems in the country, follow-up of patients post-discharge does not tend to be driven by the risk that the patients have, but in general, the willingness and likelihood of the patient's ability to see you. So you end up seeing patients, but that distribution is somewhat random in nature, and therefore patients at higher risk sometimes are not seen before they have a mortality event or a readmission event. Using predictive analytics, now they're identifying many of these high-risk patients, targeting them for a closer evaluation by their clinician, better optimization during the hospitalization, 
and a very focused post-discharge follow-up program that makes sure that they get to these patients early and often based on the level of risk and the type of risk they have to ensure that they optimize their outcomes where possible. Now, you're not going to save everybody, but we're convinced, and and they are, that a subset of these patients being seen and engaged with early on post-discharge, if they're very high risk, will end up doing better and experiencing better outcome overall, both on the mortality side and the readmission side. And so these are some of the examples where we're working with our partners, not only to help them understand the network. And on, on the hospital side, we also identified, for example, that certain skilled nursing facilities had double the mortality of others when compared to the twins. So now they have a program that guides the patient uh, towards the higher performing facility. Obviously, it's always a family and patient choice. You can't mandate where a patient goes, but they're sharing with them the data and helping them make a better choice. So this is network design at work. This is a care optimization at work, and this is how high-performance organizations like Houston Methodist are always thriving for a continuous improvement and setting a new bar for the care and the outcomes they deliver to their patients. I'm thinking, Nassib, this wouldn't be a, an AI conversation if I didn't bring up ChatGPT. And you and I met at the health conference in Las Vegas a few weeks ago, and it was clear to everyone in attendance that the industry is captivated with the potential of AI, in particular with these large language models and with the explosion of ChatGPT. I mean, we're seeing generative AI emerge as a technology that's offering transformative opportunities across society, and that includes the delivery of efficient and effective healthcare. I mean, if we're able to extract valuable insights from vast amounts of data, it has the potential, as you described, to you know revolutionize healthcare and implications of generative AI are, are vast. And you know, I wanted to get your thoughts just about how you see it impacting clinicians in the years to come. You know, in this current scenario, we see many physicians struggling to make the most of of available data in EHRs and other systems, you know, due to its disconnected nature and the volume. And it seems like generative AI could offer that solution in the form of advanced tools that can convert complex data into actionable insights through summaries and AI-based predictions and intuitive visualizations that could help clinicians make informed decisions efficiently and more quickly. And moreover, combining that with the predictive analytics capability with the data from other sources, such as the the medical record, could provide even more accurate and provide more robust clinical prediction to intervene and prevent poor outcomes. So I wanted to see, Naseeb, if you could share you know, just your insights on the progressive impact of generative AI and how will that impact uh, predictive analytics in the years to come? And as you're thinking about growing your company at scale, what do you see as the high value target opportunities for expanding your capabilities to empower clinicians to provide even more high quality care in the future? 
This is a really important question. And before I answer it relative to generative AI, I'm going to take a step back and talk about what is important for any type of AI in healthcare. And I'm always reminded that a lot of the big tech companies have jumped into healthcare without really the appreciation of what's involved here, because this is not your Amazon shopping cart or your Netflix movie that you may reject or accept uh, if you like. You're talking about the lives and, and well-being of patients and their family. And these sometimes are life or death decisions that have to be made by all involved. So for me and for HDAI and for the industry as a whole, there are three concepts that have to be adopted and applied very, very carefully when using any type of AI. The first is transparency. The second is explainability. And the third is bias. And you may put them in any order you wish. I think depending on the use case, uh, you may reorder them differently. But these are three components that have to come together to create what I would call trustworthy AI that clinicians and care team members can use and uh, integrate into th their care processes and workflows. HDAI's approach from day one has been around leveraging published methodology. I started work on this methodology uh, in the late 90s or early 2000s. Uh, Medicare at the time prohibited the use of their data for any commercial purpose, but that didn't prevent us from doing the work and putting it in the public domain because we believe that the information contained within claims data is incredibly powerful because it's the output of human AI into structured data that tells us a lot about patients and their risks and uh, the areas for opportunities to intervene. We have worked extensively on the methodology. We now have over 10 uh, publications and leading journals. And it's very simple. I can take any of our uh, predictive models and give you a spreadsheet that shows you the condition and the weight is a, that's applied to it. It's just a statistical weight. We use fancy algorithms. We use a lot of statistical approaches to identify where the signal is and what's gonna improve the prediction or not. But then when we package it and deliver it to the clinician, we use very transparent, very easy to understand methodology. I can give you one spreadsheet with the conditions and a number, and you have a pretty good idea of the contribution of any of these conditions to a prediction. That for us is the transparency piece. When you come to explainability, now you're applying these models and you're trying to predict whether somebody has a high risk of a readmission or an ED visit or a heart failure exacerbation. What's important for the clinician, if you told them they are among the highest risk in their panel, 
they need to understand why. So very quickly, in addition to showing all the conditions the patients have, we flag the conditions that are contributing or driving that probability to a higher number. So if you really want to understand what is triggering that statistically, you may have a different clinical view. And that's why it's also important because a clinician may feel some other condition is more valuable or more important to manage. And our goal is not to guide management. Our goal is to provide simplification, to provide visibility, and aggregation of the data into that one page that allows the clinician to focus on what they want to do for the patient. The third piece is bias. And bias comes from a lot of potential AI models, inadvertently or explicitly encoding information about the patient's sexual orientation or social drivers of health or other environmental uh, factors that may lead predictors to be biased in favor or against a certain population. And HDAI has a philosophy that all of its predictive models will not uh, integrate any of those in them, but rather expose the impact of these differences in the population on, through the digital twinning process. So we can show you if somebody is a, is a minority patient, you are delivering worse outcomes or better outcomes compared, let's say, to white uh, twins, rather than burying that into the model, which makes it less explainable and less transparent. Sure, you can try to dig through it and peel that onion, but our goal is to help people understand that bias rather than bury that bias into the model. So when you think about all these in the context of the machine learning and AI we use, we can make all of that transparent, explainable, and bias-free, and in fact, help organizations understand the bias that exists within their activities. When it comes to generative AI, the picture gets very murky because by default, generative AI algorithms are incredibly complex. They're all driven by machine learning, but they're incredibly complex because now you have layers and layers of predictors. You have millions and billions of coefficients that are driving the model versus tens or hundreds of coefficients that you can put in a spreadsheet and read. And then how the data is processed and what output you get is almost non-reproducible. You could take a generative AI algorithm and feed the same paragraph or the same set of data and change one word. And then the output could be totally different. And you say, oh my God, what happened here? So HDAI's initial approach to generative AI is to use it in a very narrow, very defined uh, use case that we can put governance wrappers around it to turn it into transparent and explainable and bias-free AI. 
And this is where we have invested a lot of time and effort to leverage our capabilities and modeling to uh, parse and divide the input that goes into a generative AI engine and link it to the output that's generated by that generative AI engine to create that full uh, kind of transparency and explainability. And then ultimately guardrail it to make sure that anything that may be a hallucination or unlikely to happen, that's rejected. And that ultimately allows us to take generative AI as it stands today and narrow dramatically its use case to one that we are comfortable, that's transparent, that's explainable, that's bias-free, that can leverage our models that are driven by structured data to deliver continuous insights and information for uh, clinicians. Having said that, as time progresses, those use cases will grow and people will get more comfortable with what is explainable and what is transparent. But we have to take baby steps. I'm a believer that you don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. I think there's a tremendous opportunity to innovate with generative AI. And our view and our advice is let's take the baby steps. Let's go where we can truly make it visible, make clinicians comfortable in our implementation. Any code that's generated by generative AI it's linked to an exact statement in the text that contributed that code. We show it to the clinician, we show them the full note for context, and if they want to reject it, they can. And we pass a very small percentage of those notes because there's power, there's opportunity, and there's value that we can create for clinicians today. And as long as you do it responsibly, and you make it very visible for the people who use it, it's a win-win for all involved. And that's how we're gonna make every clinician a lot more efficient, a lot more effective, because their time is better spent focusing on the patient, developing a care plan for them, coordinating with their teams, rather than searching to the EHR and trying to read tens of notes that others have written to figure out where the starting point is going to be. So that's our view on, on AI and kind of what we call fair and a transparent use of AI in healthcare. One other thing I wanted to ask you about, Naseeb, you know, we were talking earlier about using this AI and the predictive models to identify the most vulnerable patient populations and those algorithms guiding approaches for the deployment of care management and SDOH interventions for those that are in the highest risk segments. And I, I'm just thinking about where these algorithms are going to evolve in the future, you know, as data becomes more ubiquitous and less siloed by community providers and health plans and CMS. I mean, do you envision that we'll eventually see predictive models that are enriched much more beyond the claims and, you know, ADTs to look at things like crime data and geospatial analytics and food availability data, climate change impacts, consumer purchasing, biometrics, and other things? 
Absolutely. We believe that the data trend is going to improve as time goes on. Data sources are, are growing. Data sources are being integrated, but also with those data sources coming into play, you have a greater burden and responsibility to make sure that AI is not abused. And uh, this is where some concerns may arise, where the opportunity to use AI to deliver better visibility and better access to care is one side of the coin. Another side of the coin could be to use AI and these data stream to restrict care. And that would be a horrible thing. Uh, to happen. So I've been a healthcare tech executive uh, all my life. I've been doing analytics and AI for 40 years. So unlike most of who are entering healthcare AI today, who are potentially AI experts thinking healthcare is a great opportunity, I'm a healthcare expert believing that AI could be an enabling technology that can serve society in a good way. And that's why the way we operate as an organization is to make sure that every component we integrate into our model and every data element we integrate into our model is done in a way and delivered in a way that is focused on the betterment of the care and the outcomes of the patients and to really empower the clinicians to do more and do better by the patient. So my only worry of, of the data sources uh, you highlighted is that some people may use them negatively and in a way that disadvantages patients. And I hope we all remain vigilant when it comes to that because the positive use cases are far more valuable, far more impactful, and far more important to our society than some crooked use that may enrich a, a couple of organizations and damage uh, the reputation of what the good that will come out of AI put in the hands, dedicated researchers, clinicians, and tech companies who wants to, to do right by uh, society. Well, this has been an outstanding conversation. I thought we could wrap it up, Nassib, with your parting thoughts on the uh, enablement of technology to really bring about this brighter, more advanced, patient-centered care delivery system. You know, I'm reminded of this famous quote from Arthur C. Clarke that states, you know, any sufficiently advanced technology is indistinguishable from magic. We're entering into this fourth industrial revolution of technology in healthcare that goes beyond the existing and anticipated applications of AI to include advancements in quantum computing, 3D printing, smart devices, IoT, blurring those lines between the digital and physical and uncovering new opportunities that businesses can't ignore. And we also have these advances in biotechnology where we could unlock the benefits of the human genome for more precision-driven care delivery. I'd love to get your thoughts just on, you know, with these remarkable advancements in healthcare analytics and AI coupled with these other technological advancements, where do you believe is the ultimate goal or vision for the future of healthcare? I mean, how can these technologies help us achieve a healthcare system that's not only more efficient, 
but also truly patient-centered? And what role do you see HDAI playing in realizing that vision in the long term? In my opinion, we are entering an amazing phase in, in healthcare. Most people felt that the healthcare technology revolution started with the introduction of the EHR and the mandates to adopt it a decade or more ago. And today, I feel that has led us to collect a lot of data. This data is largely underutilized. This data is creating more of a burden to clinicians than efficiency. And with the tide of AI sweeping in, we are entering a phase where we're going to move from data to knowledge and insights that empowers clinicians and every member of the care team. I think if you look at U.S. healthcare, in general, it's an individual kind of effort. Everybody tries to read the record and figure out what they need to do for the patient. But if you go from doctor to get doctor, you're going to be asked the same question 10 times. Even the nurses or anybody who interacts with you as a patient, is, is a, you, you get the feeling they're starting from scratch. And AI has the ability to bring everybody on the same page. And this is where you have one plus one equals three and uh, two plus two equals six or seven because you're going to start getting the synergies of care teams coordinating and integrating their efforts on the basis of information that is synthesized, that provides insights and knowledge that's actionable, that allows you to focus more on the patient. We're also seeing the use cases around shared decision-making because a lot of what's happening in uh, genomics and all other areas of research in genetics is the opportunity to understand where our risks are, where the areas we could focus on in terms of our health and well-being, not just healthcare. The most important part about healthcare is, is health. And AI is going to help individuals understand their health better and focus on prevention better and help those who need healthcare target it better, personalize it better, and get the whole care team pulling for them and working with them to give them the best outcomes possible at the lowest cost possible, because we can't afford to keep growing our healthcare expenditures at this rate. And I do believe we're going to be able to deliver better care for more people at a lower cost with a greater experience for the clinicians who deliver it and a better experience for the patients and their family as they go through it. And that's kind of the next generation of U.S. healthcare, and I'm so excited to be a part of it. And I believe HDAI has a bright and amazing future by building those partnerships, whether they're with accountable care organizations, with physicians, with nursing organizations, quality teams, health systems, and all those involved in the delivery of care to make sure that technology is used for the good 
of our patients and society. And I fundamentally and deeply believe that there will be a lot more good than bad. There'll be some bad actors in there, but I think everybody's focused on it and they're not going to get away with it for too long. I think the good will prevail in a big, big way here. And I'm excited to see it play out over the next few years. Well, Nassib, what an exciting future. And we're fortunate to be alive in this time. There's amazing things in store for the American healthcare system. I wanted to thank you for being a leader and driving the advancement of technology enablement and predictive analytics to really improve uh, and advance our healthcare system and, and supporting value-based care transformation. The work at the Health Data Analytics Institute is just amazing. It sounds like you've done a lot of great work in building a, a platform that can be versatile and support these organizations to build these quantifiable health risks and personalized care profiles. And wanted to thank you for spending time with me and our listeners this week and sharing a little bit more about what you're doing there at, at HDAI. Eric, thank you so much. I really enjoyed the conversation and uh, looking forward to staying in touch. Absolutely.